and welcome back to Box Podcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host. I have Hannah and Katya. Katya, how's it going? And, and Hannah, can you give me pie to the 57th consecutive digit? You know I can't. <laughs> you didn't want me to ask you how you were doing, so that's a, that's your different question. <laughs> help. Help. Please, dear listener, help. Why are they... Fu- I, don't, I don't know how to deal with these guys anymore. We don't have all. the good place anymore to talk about, so this is the new thing, I guess. Well, we could talk about Riverdale. We could talk about Riverdale always, because Riverdale's the best show on television currently. So. Oh, no. no. Uh, can we... Can we... Can how are you, Katya? Uh, well, uh, you know, um, I don't know. I'm doing the same I always say. I don't know what to tell you, my uh, name. Yeah. It's it's been a year since like the nice thing is that in some ways like things as as long as you know nothing horrible happens to me personally like my life is pretty stable it doesn't change a lot like there's not a lot of variety which is disappointing but that also goes like there's a lot of stability and a really weird at least on a small scale on a large scale we just don't think about that we don't we don't we don't think about that well today for me is um as we record today is one year to the day that both of the universities i worked for uh closed down and went virtual so this is officially a year in pandemic times for me yay <laughs> that's uh well i mean more important a more much more important anniversary is coming up yes we're having the anniversary of the pandemic and lockdown and you know all those things that we don't want to think about but the also the anniversary of animal crossing new horizons release is coming up well then one year of animal crossing and like hanging out with your little neighbors well, i still don't have it I don't care about this. yeah neither do i i don't have a switch i don't I'm, have a switch <sighs> i'm very sad <laughs> Oh, anyway, yeah, yes, we, we, we're, we're very <laughs> happy and jealous. I hey, Josh. <laughs> Anna, why is Josh here? You got Josh's voice. You haven't been on in a while, Josh. So what's, what are we doing today? Uh, so uh, we're going to do a show on what I'm going to just call pandemic gaming because it fits. Um, basically, um, my life has changed in one sense a lot since the pandemic hit in that I can no longer go to friends' houses and play board games. And Josh and I have played a lot of two-player games of Root with factions that people on the Root subreddit would be horrified by. Um, and then, you know, uh, there I mean, like, it's not just board games. Uh, all, all, as we talked about on the blog, there have been all sorts of different things that have happened, like the rise of Among Us. Um and like moving things virtually onto like Zoom happy hours and that kind of thing. So we're we're going to talk about that. And Josh is the person who's been playing with me for a year. So he's here. Welcome back, Josh. Good to be back. Yeah. And then also joining us is one of my friends, Ryan Henyard, who we talk about games a lot and just generally about cool things going on. Introducing Ryan to the pod. Hey, Ryan. Hello, nice to everyone. Hi, it, it's it's. I, I've been playing a lot of video games. I mean, I normally play a lot of video games, but um, gaming is uh, both the, the cause of and solution to many of my uh, pandemic mental health, pan, pandemic mental health swings. So I'm interested to hear what ev- what everyone else has been 
doing to get by over the past year. I have this cool game I played called, called paper grading that everybody should do. And I'm willing to share my game. It's what happens is you get like a paper written by a, by a college freshman. that's like seven pages long and then you read it and then you assess it a score and then you read another one and you do that like 60 times. Anybody interested? Um, I didn't think so. No, it sounds kind of grindy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of grindy. Uh, is there, like is a there, video game do you called get Papers, good loot? Do you get papers, good loot when you do you no. get good loot though when you like finish a paper? Not not particularly, no. Oh. <laughs> you get to do you get to grade another paper. And sometimes you get to, and sometimes you get to record a lecture or 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 sometimes even do a live one over Zoom. It's great. I need fun. Give me fun in my life. Is that what today's show is about? <laughs> yes, actually, you know what? If nothing else, sure, hopefully not? you can walk away from this show with an idea about what you can do for fun. Whether you're a single player or you actually live with people who want to play with you. Oh, sounds great. <laughs> I really sold this high. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did mention on the blog that um, literally we, we were cleaning our house the week before the pandemic really started, you know, four times the long, long ago. And my wife found our copy of the board game Pandemic. And she's just like, it was like on a shelf. And she's like, oh, we should play this. I've never actually played Pandemic. She has. Um, but she's like, we should play this. And I was like, okay. And she set it on top of um, our fireplace, like on the mantle. And then the pandemic started. So it is still sitting there. I mean, I, I, <laughs> was, going, I was legit going to buy Pandemic as like the next like, quote, classic game. Um, and now I'm thinking maybe not maybe i'll just never own pandemic and that's fine yeah, yeah. Or just collecting dust yeah i don't i don't really want to play that i don't <laughs> i don't i feel like that's basically my experience of social media and watching the news it's, it's basically like the game of how much can i consume about the state of the world before my brain starts to like turn into a puddle of goo so what are we doing so i'm actually curious like what like what has everyone been doing like in the gaming world i, I know ryan you mentioned video games yeah, I've been playing a lot of a lot of JRPGs because those are long and fill up time. Um, um, I've JRPG? been uh, yeah, so I've I've been playing the Japanese RPGs. So I've been oh, working okay. through the um uh th this this title is absolutely ridiculous. I'm sorry. Uh, the Legend of Heroes: Trails of Cold Steel. One through four is what I've been working on. So I just finished uh, the last game in that saga. And they are, um, if you like Japanese RPGs and some of the tropes around um, around those kind of characters, these are like an excellent uh, version of that. And the unique thing about these games is that they are um, really narrative focused in that not just your main characters or the side characters have narrative arcs each game, but even like the, the NPCs and the townspeople, the shopkeepers all have narrative arcs that all change as the story progresses. So every time the story chapter changes, everyone gets new dialogue. Everyone has their own thing going around. You could spend hours just running around, like reading the newspaper and finding out what's happening in other parts of the game world or like checking on that fishing club um, and seeing whether or not anyone's caught the great guardian in the lake. Um, and as far as escapism goes, um, it's much easier. It was much easier to escape into that, um, at least until I got to the part about um, a gigantic military coup. Um, then it was yeah. a little less fun in January. Um, but yeah, I've been playing a lot of JRPGs and I've also been playing a lot of roguelike games like game like Hades or. Uh. 
Okay. Into the breach. We need to talk about Hades. We need to talk yes. about Hades. Hades is so good. Okay. Okay. Sorry, I'm excited. So did I, did I force you to play Hades? You strongly. I, okay. So basically, for for people who aren't familiar, I think I've talked about Hades on a previous episode in passing. But Hades is base is a roguelike video game um, where basically you fight through all the monsters, trying not to die, and then if you die, you start back at the beginning. There's roguelikes in the nutshell for folks that aren't gamers. Uh, but it's basically exploring like ancient Greek mythology, and it's, it's I think part of what's so good is because to me, at least the roguelikes, I I hate roguelikes because I am not a precision gamer. I find them deeply frustrating and they're generally not very heavy on narratives. There are definitely exceptions, um, just being one of them. And so it's like really great because it's like super challenging, but also has great stories. And I find like a lot of games, especially indie games, just because I think it's really hard to have the resources to do both super great narrative and super great mechanics. But they kind of hit this really great sweet spot. And the reason I find it really fascinating is I've been thinking a lot in the last like few years about like what it means to have inclusive gaming. And part of that is like culturally inclusive, you know, inclusive of ability, but also like bringing people into games that don't really consider themselves gamers. Because I know my experience of like growing up as a lady gamer in the 90s uh, was that like there were, you know, there were a lot of people and there still are. I think it's gotten better of people that like if you weren't like the super accurate Twitch gamer, that you were somehow not a real gamer, which is where that whole like fake gamer girl blah blah comes from. Um, but Hades has this really cool mechanic where basically you can if you play it in something called God mode, it adjusts to your level. But uh, yeah, so basically every time you die in Hades, it gives you a little bit more percentage of, of defense. So it's a little bit harder to kill you each time, which is great because if you're someone like me, who's not great at roguelikes, you just keep dying a lot. But actually, as you die, you a get more protection. Also, you actually need to die to move the story forward. It's so cool. Like you actually get rewarded for dying. So can I just like start the game and then go to bed and just let myself get killed 80 times, and then wake up in the morning and I'm like, you know, not quite. Yeah. No, you need. You, well, I mean, I guess like no, no, because you you have to like keep trying. Things won't just like, come kill me if I just stay there. So it's like Sisyphus, but not. Well, Sisyphus is actually there, which is fun. Um, yeah, he's actually, he's actually he's, really he's like, like at peace. Yeah, he's really at peace with the whole like being tortured by the Fury situation. Um, it's nice. it's actually re- really reassuring. I'm, I'm actually like. Uh, I hadn't um, thought about playing before, but now you've convinced me I should. Oh, I was going to say that if you're someone who has ever been interested in Greek mythology, then this game is like a love letter uh, specifically mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a moment in the game and I'm trying to like try to figure like, can you spoil mythology? I don't think you can spoil mythology. <laughs> um, but but uh, but but there was a moment where um, your main character in that game is Zagreus, um, um, you know, Prince of Hell, son, son of, of Hades. Hades. Yes. And I remember being really confused when I was younger um, in my first mythology class and going, well, you know, is Zagreus just Dionysus? And everyone was like, well, you know, kind of it depends. Um, and so you're playing Zagreus, the you know, Prince, Prince of Hell, and you go out, um, you're trying to escape because screw you, dad, you don't actually control me. I'm, I'm my own person, um, you know, as you do. 
And as you're escaping, you know, he he's 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 going out. He wants to find his mom, uh, Persephone, um, who's, uh, you know, like who who's who's long gone. And all of his Olympian relatives uh, are want to help him out. They want to help him get out of get out of hell and get to um it's a Mount Olympus. And so you end up getting boons and help and story beats from a bunch of the different uh, Greek gods. There are also a number of the Chthonian uh, deities in the game as well, mm-hmm. including um, a non-binary primordial chaos that I deeply appreciate. Um, uh, you know, Mother Nyx, you know, goddess of night. Uh, th- there, There's just a lot of really cool stuff in there. And there's a moment where you're having like Dionysus and Zagreus, two different, you know, versions of a similar, of, of a similar um, Olympian or uh, Olympian origin talking to each other about like how much they like each other and how they think that each other like has cool style. <laughs> and like, I just, I really just enjoyed and loved every bit of it. Um, I probably put like maybe a, a few hundred hours into that game, uh, which is pretty impressive and i i had to physically pull myself away even after i beat all the story because there's just constantly like more narrative more interactions and every like uh, like i just said when you die you either progress the story or you get more resources to make your character stronger and the and you can decide you know how permanent like which of those permanent buffs you want on at any time um, and what weapon you use. And there's like a whole bunch of different ways to play the game based off of your own um, preferences for the action style. And mm-hmm. the game does a good job of teaching you how to play it. Um, mm-hmm. my, my my last note on Hades is that like if you're interested in game development, um, Hades is a really fascinating case. Um, it's mm-hmm. made by Supergiant Games, which is a, um, an indie game studio. Um, I guess I can call them Indie Plus uh, Plus. Previously, they they created a few other of my favorite games of all time. So they created Bastion, um, uh, which was a a, sim- a similar isometric indie game um, that featured this gorgeous voice narrator, um, you know, narrating all of your actions in real time uh, dynamically, um, and in uh, Transistor, which was like a. a merge of an action game and a and a real-time strategy um and when they made hades they decided to do it as open access as early access and they invited the folks from noclip um youtube documentarians uh who a uh, uh, video game uh documentarians of video game lore and uh development um to follow them for the whole like multi-year process of um of creating that game so you kind of get to watch it all come together um it's it's just really rad. It's a rare look behind the curtain. Um, and it was just really fascinating to have a game that um, exceeded everybody's expectations, that did everything I wanted it to do, um, and that like other people actually cared about. It won game of the year from a number of outlets yeah. um, against, you know, really big games like The Last of Us or, you know, or, or things mm-hmm. like that where, you know, yes, they, they those people put billions of dollars into um into a title and they lost to the plucky indie um that had just a flat out better game um and frankly like oh go ahead oh no i was just saying like i think it's it's also a rare game that i feel like i I personally have no complaints about and i think i mean if if you dig hard enough you will find someone complaining about something in the gaming world because what we do (laughs) but 
I mean, I think that's actually also kind of like a relative consensus within the community. Like, I don't see people, I don't know, I don't see a lot of takedowns of a game. People are just generally like, yeah, this is a solidly good, like, indie, like, cool game. Like, I, you know, I'm sure somewhere, someone somewhere is, is cranky. Question. Uh, okay, these are both video games. Are they both single player or are these multiplayer or what's going on? I don't, you haven't said that. Playing with your friends or is it log on and play against NPCs? Log on, so play against NPCs. It, it's single yep. player. Although I think one of the cool things about Hades is like because it's so story based, like people like there were lots of people talking about it. Like, I mean, this is uh, actually a future episode I'm thinking about is the difference between the game and the meta game. But like there is like there's like outside of the game itself, there is kind of a community around it of people like talking about, you know, t- talking about like the mechanics of the game and how much of the game itself, but also talking about Greek mythology. Like there was a little like baby resurgence and people nerding out because, of course, you know, the gaming community is a bunch of nerds. Which no one would have ever thought of before. Yeah, I, I feel like on the exact opposite of this scale is what Josh has been doing. So yeah. Anti-social and murdering people and building an empire to celebrate colonialism. Um, no, that was that was the Josh of yesteryear. I have moved on. And, and we should clarify in video game world. So I, I used to play a lot of uh, total, the Total War games and got really into. Empire, Empire Total War, which is like from 2007 or so, eight or nine. So in the, in the last year, I've been playing a lot of the, the online multiplayer game World of Warships. He's going to try and recruit mm. you to his team. So it's a it's a free to play game from a Russian developer called Wargaming, and the the, the the tagline is it's the thinking man's action game. It's a it's a naval combat simulator. Uh, I hate it already. Uh, it's a, <laughs> So it's, it's so Sorry, I really, continue. No, I really enjoy it because it's the, the it's a lot of strategy involved, and there's a really active community, and the, they're very salty about anything that's changed in the game. Uh, and it's just it's just funny to watch the community react anytime the developer updates things. Um, so I initially I initially got into it because I had a so uh, when I was in law school, I wrote a paper on loot boxes and in gaming and decided I needed to like kind of learn more about this firsthand. So like this game is known for its use of this, this the developer Wargaming is known for its use of it's, it, it publishes free to play games and uses loot boxes to make money. Um, so I started playing the game just purely to learn about it and then got really just kind of fell in love with like the strategy of it. Uh, it's in the original form. There were like three types of ships, uh, battleships, cruisers, and destroyers. And they kind of had a rock, paper, scissors element to it. You pick a ship, go into a battle with like ten teammates, try to defeat the other other team, um, and then a few years ago, World Warships added aircraft carriers, uh, which kind of a lot of people say broke the gameplay because they're kind of overpowered. Uh, and then the last couple of years, they've been the developers have been tweaking the game a lot, trying to trying to balance it, adding lots of new ships. Uh, and it's it's funny because like a ship in the game you, you can you can just play for free, grind to unlock new ships, or you can pay anywhere from ten to a hundred dollars for a single ship in this game. Uh, of real money, of like, real, real, real money. money. He's uh, not done that. Geez, I just want to say I've never done this, but I know people who have like that are whaling it for these games. They have like all these. They're called premium ships that are that cost like real money, and mm-hmm. there's. It's just really fun because the, the developer like, rolls out a new update every three to six months. New ships get added. The community gets really salty. Um, 
one of the the top live streamers just was fired last month as a as like a paid kind of spokesperson for the game because he was critiquing some of the new changes and the developer just dropped him. Uh, this whole I'm sorry, what? I'm just saying you're really, you're really selling it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that sounds, that sounds extremely questionably ethical. So it's like we pay yeah. a guy to cheerlead us, and he said the new change wasn't great. Like, I mean, that's that's not unheard of. I mean, that I know. that a lot. I, well, a fair number of gaming gaming companies do that. Although I will say, like the ones like I, the few stream page streamers I follow that are associated with with um or like YouTubers or what have you that I follow actually tend to be pretty critical of the games that they play a lot. Um, I think this is most, I see this a lot, for example, with EA games, particularly The Sims, because The Sims, while many people love it, it is in many respects a disaster and a very expensive one, which also speaking of, I think we actually talked about this in the last um, gaming sort of in the pandemic uh, show, although I don't think we explicitly called that. Like The Sims is really popular. Um, although The Sims never really stopped being popular, it's always kind of like maintains part of, I think, like the, the community's heart in a weird way, because it is kind of like it, it fills a niche of I want to play dolls, but also sometimes want to be a little bit sadistic <laughs> towards those dolls, which is a whole thing. Um, Isn't that like what dolls are for anyway? I mean, like even like even uh, as a child, with regular I mean, dolls. It depends. Although anyway, but they Me have a similar guy. thing. <laughs> they have a similar thing where like. Not quite loot crates, but you, you know, I, I forget the math, but like if you buy all the, there's the base game, which at this point I think you could get for like 10 bucks or something because like the base game is kind of useless unless you buy the expansion packs. You bought all the expansions at full price. It's like several hundred dollars. Um, and they've actually recently started some controversy because they, they're releasing smaller packs for like five bucks. Are they really worth it? Probably not. And they're buggy as all get out. Um, and I haven't seen those streamers. Most of the streamers and most of the community have been like, ah, uh, this, not, this isn't cool, guys. So I'm interested to see how that goes. But yeah, it's, you know, it, the relationship between streamers in general, especially like streamers that are hired by the companies is really right. interesting. Well, that's kind of the weird thing about just critiquing. Like if you're, I have no problem with, you know, paying people for, you know, for advertising, you know, in fact, sure. if people want to pay us, please, please do contact us on at boxpopcast.com. But um, we still but, might critique you, though. Yeah, well, th- that's exactly it. Like, I, I, I'm not doing a commercial commercial. And if, if, as a streamer, if you're like, hi, I'm Joe and I play this game, you know, OK, fine. If I if I if you're paying me specifically for that, sure. But the streamer has a following because people respect their honest opinion about game. That's what you know, that's what video game streaming is, right? This show that we're on is anybody who listens to it is because is because they respect our honest opinion about whatever we're bitching about that week. That's I mean that's respect what we might do. be a, be well, a strong word, but or I understand inter- what you mean. Entertained by respect, whatever <laughs> you want to say, right? Like like critique makes stuff better. That's right. what it is. Or at least more interesting. I mean yeah. and I think that's why like the, some of the bigger, especially like the the larger companies that kind of like I think companies like uh EA, I think even yeah. like Act like Activision, Rockstar, I mean, I think they have a interesting relationship kind of with like their their critics online because on the one hand, yeah, it's bad PR. Um, you know, but in, on the other hand, like I think the fact that like, you know, just to go back to the EA example, the fact that EA keeps on their payroll, they're called game changers, I think. The fact oh, they don't really? boot people, really? yeah, it's, <laughs> it's 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 a thing. But the fact that they don't boot people for 
critiquing them, I think speaks, you know, to me, it's like, okay, cool. I'm like a little, like a moderately more comfortable giving my money because it's like, like you're, you're respecting the community that you're a part of. Right. Uh, and I think that's part of it is it's like, and it's, it's, it's like acknowledging like, yeah, you're a game company, but also like the gaming community is a community and you can't just kind of like be a cranky toddler and take your toys and go home. And on the other hand, it's also like a really good source of feedback. Like, Mm-hmm. I'm sure that I mean Reddit is full of people being unhelpful. Um, but it's like you want to know how your game is performing and what people are finding buggy and all this kind of stuff. I mean, there's a reason that there are there are most most large game companies at this point have like community managers. Their entire job is to like you know field questions and resolve disputes and issues that people come because I mean there are customers, but also like part of that is monitoring those forums to see like what's up, like how are people playing the game. Are 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 they having a good experience? If they're not having a good experience, why? Or if they are having a good experience, like what's working so that maybe we can do that in this other game that we're making? Right. It's. Inv- I mean, as a software designer, when I when I used to do that, it's an invaluable thing, right? Like, sure, I can run a focus group, um, and often did, but for whatever I was working on, just going to the community of users for whatever you know, be it a game or a spreadsheet program, it doesn't matter. If there's a place online where people go to say. Oh wow, this is awesome. Have you used feature a, feature A or mm-hmm. oh wow, this stuff feature A is garbage. Like I need to know that and I can make my product better. So it's just right. it's silly to try and block that. It's a it's a bad it's not only is it bad business as a customer relations um standpoint, it's just you're giving away, you're just forfeiting something that would make you more profitable in the long run. Which I think actually brings us back to Josh's point. Like I feel like, does anyone like loot crates? I feel like loot crates are one of the most, I mean, this is not a pandemic issue. Like, this is a trend in gaming for many years now at this point. Like, do does anyone like like loot crates? I guess if you're really wealthy and you don't want to actually play the like, grind and you can just buy all this stuff, that's great. Like, good for you. But, like... I, I don't like them. Like, World of... So, World of Warships, just as an example, um... A lot of also a lot of companies are required to publish, depending on the company. Sorry, depending on the country, companies are required to publish the odds of what of the, of the chance of receiving any item from a loot crate. Um, and some companies are better about it than others. Uh, World of Warships had an incident last. I think it was this Christmas. So a lot of memes about it, but there was a there was a loot crate where you could get a certain type of ship, uh, and they were claiming to have like a long list of ships. It was like one of you could get one of fifty ships. They're all very good, but if you actually read the fine print, the first ship you would get in any chance, the, the first ship you had any chance of getting was like this very like mid tier ship no one cared about, and it, it, the memes because everyone was opening loot crates and paying for loot crates and getting the same kind of garbage ship. Um, uh. Every time, just because it was supposed to be random, she would get you'd always get that ship first before you got anything good. So you'd had to buy at least like two crates or something. Um, and that's kind and of how much are the crates again? Uh, I have to look. I, I know it, like two to ten dollars usually, some are more, and you can spend like, hundreds of dollars on loot crates. I think some of these events they had like you could buy up to like a hundred crates, and then if you got all the crates, you had like a one in a hundred chance of getting the ship you wanted but you had to buy all the crates and because of you know probability and stuff it doesn't necessarily mean all the crates so depending on the event you don't get a ship just because you buy all 100 crates you just have 100 one in 100 chance each time you open a crate and company, mm-hmm. this, companies can just tweak their the wording of the of the fine print and you pay a ton of money for stuff you don't actually right have a good chance of getting 
Well, it's uh, a way of selling. It's a way of selling, you know, gambling to thirteen-year-olds legally. Is what it what it is. I, my one good thing that I have to say about Loot Crate is I play this one game, Marvel Puzzle Quest, and it, it the I don't buy Loot Crate, but I just randomly, you know, you get more bonuses if you're in a guild than if you're not. So I just joined a random guild, and the guild that I'm in has at least four or five people in it who frequently buy the $99 loot crate and every time you do like everybody else in your guild gets bonus points so, so that's why I like them <laughs> but I'm not doing that <laughs> so like they, they, they put just just a tiny bit of socialism in there so that people wouldn't mutiny right right so so I, I never contribute to the $99 um, you know give everybody in your team seven um, seven bonus tokens like pot but since I'm in that guild you know just every you know once a week or so I get like 20 bonus or 21 bonus tokens because like three people decided to buy $99 loot crate. So, so you're basically like a Remora that's like, yeah, thank you. Living <laughs> off of the, <laughs> the float off skin of, a, of the, uh, of the loot box. Yeah, yeah, whales. Yeah. I'm completely parasitic to this, to this process. Absolutely. I'm, I'm personally fine with this. Like in World of Warships, like the ship's being a hundred bucks, some whales going to buy it. I get to play a game for free because of someone else's, you know, just need to have this awesome World War II right. battleship. What if it's port. a child? Yeah, if it's a child, I mean, that's another yeah. issue. And I know a lot of countries have uh, started finally started cracking down on it. Um, Germany just this month uh, is talking about amending its Youth Protection Act to to ban loot crates, or to not to ban loot crates, but to um, to change the rating for games that contain loot crates to eighteen plus. Mm. Uh, Belgium has for many years talked about doing something uh, the United States really isn't Hawaii, Hawaii tried in I think 2018 introduced some legislation and it, it failed to meet some sort of legislative deadline and was dropped uh, but it's a, it's a hot legal topic kind of behind yeah. the scenes I've, I've been following it for a couple of years, and it, and it's it's interesting to you because like they're at, like it's a legal topic because like it is, like there aren't a lot of laws, right? It was it was it, kind of the wild west for a long time, and then in the last five years or so, individual countries are starting to try to regulate it. Particularly, like the European Union is trying to do some things. The individual member states are trying to do something at the European Union level. China has is got regulations on. Um, skin gambling, which is where people were trading in-game skins, character, and, like, weapons skins. Um, that doesn't can, sound ominous at all. Right, but apparently people... <laughs> apparently, a few years ago, like, I think Counter-Strike had a system where you could you can trade you could trade skins mm-hmm. for weapons and things, and so third-party sites were using them using the skins as in-game as currency, virtual currency. You could bet on the outcomes of various uh, gaming competitions, tournaments, and then you could win skins. And so skin gambling became like a hot topic. Uh, and at least China and some other places started cracking down on it because of the amounts of money that were involved. Did you write on that? Not on skin gambling. I I, I, I hadn't looked. Hey, Mav, you can get rid of that question. Um, Josh mm-hmm. has written on this topic um, for a, something in law school. Um, mm-hmm. Well, this is depressing. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that we could transition to the the happy games, the cozy games. The well, I guess Among Us isn't a cozy game because you're desperately trying to capture a murderer on a spaceship before you well, get murdered. But 
Oh, well, dude, please tell me how it's a cozy game. Like I mean, okay. This is the hats do make it cozy. Uh... <laughs> And if you don't know what a cozy game is, go back and listen to our cozy game episode, which I think is the one we recorded when Animal Crossing came out. So probably about yes. a year ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there are different aspects of the cozy game. Like, I remember one of the things that stuck out to me, and I remember we talked about in that episode, was the fact that Witcher appears in their taxonomy of what is a cozy game. Witcher does not immediately strike me as a cozy game because you're mainly hunting monsters. But they, what they were talking about was basically like Witcher uses a lot of warm colors and ambiance, especially in settings where you're indoors in like fortresses or cabins and things like that that are supposed to be like safe, that, that are like safe spaces within the game where you're not being usually attacked by monsters. Although, you know, there are definitely quests where you get ambushed. Hello, hello, Skellige. Uh, hi, I'm, pl- I'm replaying Witcher right now, uh, which we can maybe talk about in a little bit. Uh, but one of the things, that, so, so like there's different things to make a cozy game. I would argue that actually part of the appeal and why this has been a useful game during the pandemic is that Among Us is a cozy game. And it's not because of the aesthetic of the game or what you're actually doing. It's the fact that it's communal. So like mm-hmm. it's maybe like the meta cozy game. Right. It's the fact that like it, it allows people to come together to play online, um, particularly in a way that isn't like dependent on a Zoom box. Uh, <laughs> as we've talked about a few episodes now, like Zoom is exhausting. We're all kind of over it. Uh, and I don't know, um, like I, I get on Among Us like every couple of weeks, probably with with a group of friends. And like we'll usually have some kind of video chat open to like talk between to, between sessions and stuff. But we're not like on camera. And we're just like being annoying and like chatting and, and you know, basically playing elaborate hide and seek. I think that's cozy. I never thought I would create a discord channel for my family, actually, but uh, <laughs> um, I have. And also my my so uh, we we have a Among Us discord channel to just make that uh, clear where we uh, use instead of the text box or Zoom. And um, my I don't actually think I've. Um, told this to our podcast listeners, but my mother like does not like technology. Like, um, you know, I, my, my dad or I, or my sister were the ones like telling her how to do things when we were, um, still living all together. And she, she has picked up on among us, uh, quickly, um, and has learned to use discord. Um, so it, you know, I think it's also like a fairly like low barrier level to entry kind of game for people who like, aren't gamers in any sense of the word um mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's great to talk to people i think that like for animal crossing a year ago um also mm-hmm. like my deep my deep and sincere apologies to all my villagers for abandoning them <laughs> in their time of need oh, um, oh same i think i leave them from time to time it has been months i am ashamed to show my face in the digital digital realm um but you know there there was a there was a time where like i hadn't talked to my sister um outside of animal crossing for a good like four or five months and animal crossing among us and fall guys i believe were all three games that kind of hit the hit the zeitgeist at different times um in the past year and the main thing was like having a place to be able to interact and do some kind of social things that wasn't based around uh based around work um and and essentially like among us is basically mafia like if you're um mm-hmm. i don't know like I, I i'm a university of michigan grad um in the midwest uh huddling in um in a dorm room you know when it's snowing outside and playing mafia all night um is the kind of thing that we would do for fun uh back in the day um 
and playing those kind of um, accusation games, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a lot of like fun things that happen just in the meta of how those develop among groups of friends and how people start to, you know, start to go beyond the structures of the game and find, oh, yes, you know, well, I try to do my t- I try to find tells or I'm going to try to take a different strategy around, like pretending to do these tasks. Uh, and, you know, there, there's just a bunch of, I think, enjoyment of doing that. And also because of streaming, now you can get some of that feeling without actually having to be the person who's playing. So like <laughs> I've played almost no no Among Us. I've watched probably like a couple hundred hours of Among Us, like during sleep sleepless nights and just watching friends accuse each other and toss them out into the cold vacuum of space mm-hmm. as you do. There's also the, you know, um, kind of like, you know, celebrities or politicians playing things yep. like Among Us or Animal Crossing. Um, actually, before my brother-in-law ever played it with us, he would just watch AOC's like stream of Among Us uh, for fun. That's just like what he did and like how he built up his strategy when we finally played. Um, so, yeah, and I think I mean, I think that's what been one of the interesting uses of gaming during the pandemic in particular is like people who wouldn't we wouldn't normally associate with these kinds of games are like going hard in um, as as basically a substitute, especially in politics for, you know, door door knocking, essentially like AOC has been doing, you know, did a bunch of um, uh, Among Us streams um, as part of her, like her like sort of grassroots organizing and also just like getting to know people and hang out with them. Um, also, like my, that was my also one of my favorite Animal Crossing controversies. So for folks that aren't aware, Animal Crossing, I think over I forget exactly when I think it was over the summer, um, late summer. They started a policy where basically the it, for those of you who don't play Animal Crossing, there are ways that you can basically create your own in-game assets, basically by illustrating sort of cute little you know cute little thing like cute little like art projects that you can kind of stick to things. Essentially, I don't know how to describe that. Uh, but people were using it to make things like campaign signs, including, I believe, some that were actually in, either creative or endorsed by actual political campaigns. So you could go to people's islands and you would see like Biden 2020, um, maybe Trump 2020. I don't know. I saw mostly like like more stuff on the left than on the right, which maybe just says that something about, you know, the community of, on Animal Crossing. But Nintendo at, at some point over the summer or maybe in the maybe early fall basically was like, no, we don't want this. And started regulating basically what what political speech could appear in the game, and I think they also might have sort of kind of put the put their foot down for politicians using really? it as a way to gather. Yeah, I didn't know about that. So, so you're telling That's, me that Nintendo did a better job of regulating political speech than Facebook and Twitter? Yeah, I mean, not, well, I don't not, know. Yeah, that's better. In particular, Facebook. I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not like apologizing for Twitter, like. I'm not trying to, but like Facebook's bar is just like so low, like yeah, the lowest. Yeah, I wouldn't say Twitter's is great either. Um, oh it, no, I'm but, just saying Facebook is yeah. just like the bottom. <laughs> yeah. So apparently, as of so, I'm just just double checking my facts here. Apparently, on, on uh, September 14th, there was an update where basically certain terms would be censored, including things related to COVID, coronavirus, and ACAB. All cops are bastards. Um. So basically that it like if you tried to send mail, for example, with certain words that were banned, it would it would get censored. Um, and then I think the yeah. the more the political stuff, it sounds like individual assets would, would, would get reported and removed. I don't know. So it may not be a blanket. I would need to look.
look into whether or not it's a blanket policy, but essentially, I think that's part of why some of AOC, AOC in particular, like transitioned to doing the, the live streams with with on on Among Us, mm. um, is because it was getting more difficult to do so through Nintendo. But yeah, I mean, we'll have a link in the show notes to that story. Okay, uh, so I, I feel like we've talked a lot about. Um, definitely like video games that you like could play uh just in quote normal times and we might have changed like how popular they were or, like how often we're playing them because of the pandemic but there's also like i think like kind of a medium like space where like people have either like done like zoom games with like jack box games from like a steam pack or they right. like adapted games um mm-hmm. to play like online uh virtually with zoom um with their like families like mav i know that you've done something like this yeah i've done a few of them um so i've done well let's see i've done code names a couple different ways I've done code names with friends of mine and just, you know, I've got a, I've got a Slack channel that is just friends. You know, I've got work Slack channels, but I've also got a Slack channel. that's just friends that I went to college with. And we installed a bot there that just generates code names games for us. So we played that, but also, um, code names as a game is just something that in the before times I used to enjoy playing uh, with my nieces and nephews. Um, we'd get together just like, you know, for family game nights and they're little. Um, so they obviously don't have Slack accounts and we could make them, but the youngest is like three. So what we discovered was we could play it over zoom or FaceTime and long as one person's controlling it. So I've got the card game myself and so do they, but we just set up the cards on a, on our card table here. And then we will open up a group FaceTime with my nieces and, and nephews um, on their iPads. And then we'll just play with them. And, you know, Steph and I will flip the cards over, but long as we just point the, you know, point an iPad down so they can see the board or mm-hmm. we can send them, we'll send them text messages. Sometimes I'll just, I'll just take a, you know, take a picture of it and, uh, you know, so they can have an update and I'll just text it out to everybody and we play. And the thing that's the one thing that's been nicer about this is, um, I've got, um, I've got nieces and nephews who live here that in normal times we would just go over to their house or they'd come over here. Um, but also my brother and his family live in California. So, you know, we've been able to play family game nights in a way that we wouldn't normally do just because of um, because of this, because, well, if I'm going to be setting up a setting up the board and doing a Zoom call or FaceTime call anyway, why don't I just put both sets of kids there? So so that's been fun. And it's something that, you know, it's something that you can do sort of all ages the technology doesn't matter, you know, like the 14 year old can play this just as easily as the three year old, you know, the three year old takes a little time reading, but you know, he can still, he can still do it, you know? So, so it's been, or he'll have to have somebody tell him what the cards say, you know, things like that. So. No, I, um, I think that that's great. It's like, it's like a way to preserve some normalcy, mm-hmm. um, you know, in a time in which we don't have a lot of it. And without having to learn a like, I mean, you're kind of having to learn a new way of playing, but you're not having to learn like a whole new interface in a way that like mm-hmm. can be kind of irritating. So we also, or I didn't do this, but um, I know my wife has played 
Uno with um with my with her sister and her nephew over um I guess over FaceTime probably. Um in much the same way, that just um what they figured out was if they got two sets of of Uno cards, she just, you know, she would deal to herself and then my sister-in-law w- would deal a hand to her and her and her, and her son and then they would just like keep the keep their iPhones pointed at the you know, at the discard. So you can, they'd have to just imagine that they were discarding to the same pile. Um, but long as you, you know, Uno has enough cards that it doesn't really matter that you've changed the odds that much by, by doubling the, you know, by doubling the available cards. So they were just drawing from their own deck. So that was kind of neat too. Yeah. And has anyone like had any experiences also like maybe um, doing RPGs now virtually instead of like in person? Yeah, uh, I've done a couple one shots of some uh, some indie games. I um, I, I don't play a lot of D&D uh, specifically, but um, I in the early days of the pandemic, there were a lot of groups forming up to make, um, you know, new tables for a number of D&D based games. Um, there's a lot of folks doing uh, like power by the apocalypse games. So stuff like blades in the dark um, on systems like roll 20. Um, I know that at some point during the pandemic, I bought a like five pack of tabletop simulator um, and just was handing it out to family members in case anybody was interested in trying to play some games there. Um, and we actually ended up like, you know, buying some playbooks for, uh, for games that we own physically <laughs> just to have the digital version easy to use. Um, but I think that for me, most of, I, I feel like everyone hit kind of a wall in their ability to be on zoom. Uh, and, um, yeah, yeah. And the pandemic and that killed like most of the RPG groups I've been going through. Um, but you know, I still listen to a bunch of like actual play podcasts, like friends at the table. Um, and I know that, you know, listening to those gave me the idea of, Hey, these folks aren't all in the same time zone or even continent and are playing this way. So when the pandemic hit, it was like, okay, this is how we're going to pivot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for tabletop, especially like it had like things like roll 20, which allows you to play, you know, most tabletop games online and things like that. Like there were already tools available. So the pivot wasn't that difficult, but I think, I mean, I know personally, and I, and I know from just talking to friends that also play a lot of different tabletop games, though it's, it's, I don't know. It's not that it's, harder to play exactly it's more exhausting because of the zoom fatigue kind of issue like for example i've had a uh, D group that's been meeting now for like you know every week for four or five years more or less and like a normal game session for us is like four. you know on the short end it's like four hours on the long end is six hours on a sunday mm-hmm. and no one wants to spend that quantity of time on zoom um and even though when we play in real life, like, you know, we're hanging out, we're drinking beer, we're having snacks, but like, there's something about being in the room that makes that kind of like length of, of session mm-hmm. much more doable. And then the other thing is also like for a while we were playing our main, you know, the main story that we usually play, which we refer to as a team, uh, because it's, it's, it's our main, our main characters in that quest, like that, that specific, uh, storyline has been going for four and a half years. And I don't know, I think, we just all found it exhausting to continue playing. And because it's a fairly large group, fairly large D&D group, I think the set there's what there's seven of us, including the MD or including the DM. Um, I don't know. And at, at some point in the last, like a couple months ago, we just were like, Hey, we're all kind of burned out. Everyone needs a little bit of a break. And we've recently resumed, but we're not playing D&D. We're playing something called 
Monster of the Week, which is kind of like this is this is probably not a good description, and I'm sure someone will make a face at me, but I think of it as D and D light in that it has a lot of the role playing aspects to it, but it's much more narrative heavy. There's less like drawn out combat sessions, less sort of complicated dice rolls, and you can kind of do a one-off session with a lot less effort. Because um, I don't know about other people's, like, DMs, but our, 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 our DMs, like, they go hard, man, for, like, prep and, like, writing their own storylines and all this other stuff. Where, like, I think most of our, G- our our game masters spend, you know, several hours a week just preparing for our Sunday sessions. And I think, like, just right now, it's like, that's, that's a lot to ask of anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Which, you know, I... For a while, this is not um, a virtual game, but for a while, Josh and I just like stopped playing our board games. I think partially because uh, we were too exhausted to remember some of the rules, even though we played them before <laughs> or just play them. Sounds about right. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. You might recall Spirit Island, uh, the cooperative um, board game where you kick invaders off an island and throw them into the ocean sometimes. Um, and we tried playing it earlier on in the pandemic. And at one point, Josh said, the, the, you cannot have gotten the rules right. This is too exhausting. This is too hard. You could not have possibly have like... That is a hard game, though, to be no. fair. <laughs> it, it, I, to be fair, I had... And also, it was like 10 o'clock and we were exhausted. So, like, this is the... I think this is the biggest outburst Josh has had in, like, the like seven years I've known him. Eight years. Fighting colonialism is hard, yo. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> what yeah. Thought? But yeah, I mean, it's partially that like the game uh, can be challenging, especially since I think we haven't played it a whole, whole lot because we didn't have it until the Christmas before the pandemic began. So, um, you know, not a lot of like uh, not stressful in general time to play and like get used to it. And then like... um, Root, I mentioned at the beginning, every faction of Root, which um, if you've never played Root, it's a cute little board game um, set in a forest where evil capitalist cats have taken over the forest and different factions are fighting for domination and you play one of those factions. And now, um, like, we, we own eight different factions of Root because we've bought almost every expansion they have and each faction has different rules and you have to learn to play the game over and also you need to kind of have a vague knowledge of someone else's rules to be sure they're not cheating um and it yeah i mean like it's just it's just a lot um learning learning how to play a board game is hard i'll have to check that out that sounds interesting Spirit Island is awesome. I, I will say to the rule complication thing, I think when we, we played that like in real life, it took us yeah. a couple playthroughs before we felt like we were doing it right. And then even mm-hmm. then, I'm not sure we like, cause and we, I think we, we talked about the previous episode, I forget which one, maybe Games of Empire. Like the game is intentionally stacked against the players. Mm-hmm. Partially for that point of like, hey, fighting colonialism is hard. Yeah. And I, I will also say about Root and Spirit Island specifically, if you don't want like that fatigue of like having a physical board game or that you don't have enough players, um, in terms of root, which a lot of people on the internet um, have very strong opinions about this. And they're like, if you don't have four people who are going to play regularly, don't bother buying root at all. Invest your money elsewhere. And honestly, I think that if you have an opened heart and a fun group of people, stop laughing at me. Um, you, can, <laughs> you 
you can you can you can play root and enjoy it and like get to know the factions and like find interesting things to say but maybe that's just because i've like written some stuff about games also, and empire super cash it's it's just a you know it's it's just a game oh right like, but yeah play but you it can, yeah. makes you happy yeah you can but yeah you can buy the digital versions um of root and spirit island and also like if cost is a factor um and you don't want to put down the like you know fifty dollars or whatever for a board game the digital versions are cheaper on steam which is also sure. a consideration because um not everybody has like a million dollars to snowboard use. It's also the pandemic be rough on our bank account. Yeah, the pandemic really, yeah. Um, Yeah, if you don't want to blow your stimulus check on all the board games, (laughs) Hannah's going to list off. Um, You can always join World of Warships, free to play. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't buy them, just don't don't buy the... Start a course for adventure today. I mean, the point about the rules being, learning the rules being kind of exhausting is, is, is interesting though, and I wonder, like, I definitely have found myself finding video games more of my speed right now. And I think part of that is because like, I don't have to learn the rules because the rules are in the game. I just have to figure out like what, what I'm allowed to do and not allowed to do. And then in some cases, figure out how to deploy bombs to break what I'm allowed to do. Uh, (laughs) Because that's a thing that you can do sometimes. But like, I, I kind of find it nice to not have to worry about playing the rules or playing the quote unquote right way. And like video games, like even the open world ones, like there are rails on, even if I, I think the mark of a good game, especially a good open world game is that you don't notice the rails super frequently. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, which I think also goes to like, the, I've definitely found that my interest, there are games that I previously have played that I wasn't super into that I definitely have found more appealing these days. Uh, I've been thinking a lot as to why for me, like the current example, which I mentioned earlier in the episode is I have been replaying Witcher, uh, Witcher 3, The Wild Hunt, um, which I, I say replaying. That's generous. Uh, I usually get like one fifth into the into the main story and then lose interest. And because I'm that kind of person, every time I go back to a game, I have to start it from the beginning because I've lost the storyline. And even though I remember what happens, I might have missed something. Um, but The Witcher for me, I, I always kind of was curious as to why people loved it so much. It's like one of the more critically acclaimed games. People love it. I just never connected with it because it's so sprawling. I've always felt like it's a combination of like a game that expects you to play in a certain way, sort of like a more railroaded storyline where like you're supposed to follow the main quest and go, you know, follow the bouncing ball of the story of, of Geralt of Rivia. Uh, and then they also put in a massive, like a massive uh, open world game where there's all these little interesting side quests with all this lore, and like you get to hunt all these different monsters, which is also very cool. It always felt like two games in one, and for me, it always felt like those two games were kind of in tension with each other. But now in the pandemic, where I have virtually infinite time on my hands, I understand it. I still mm. think the leveling system is broken in, yep. in some extent because, like, I'm not even all the way through all the way through the main quest, and I'm already almost at like the level for the expansions, having not even gotten to the DLCs. Because if you do any side quests at all, you level really quickly in comparison to the main role of the game, which makes things easier than they should be. That's a whole different problem. But like, I get it. It's an extremely immersive story, and you can go down so many rabbit holes. I, I've been thinking about the my experiences with The Witcher, um, and I like for me, I came into it a little different in that um, mm-hmm. years and years ago, I got into the books uh, based off of some somewhat janky translations of the the Polish fantasy novels that um, The Witcher is based off of, 
And I think that the reason why The Witcher 3 and to a lesser extent 2, but mostly 3 um, stuck with me was like the way I was approaching playing. It was very because it was a giant sprawling open world game. I had the normal sensation I have, which is massive anxiety around all those different map icons and mm-hmm. knowing that like, hey, if my wife watches me play this over, you know, like over the shoulder, if I play this out on the couch, um, she will make me pick up every uh, every potion, every piece of grass um, in the field um, because it will bother her if I leave it. Um, and so like I, I I'm ironically anti-completionist for these kind of games, but because I came into it from a narrative sense from the short stories, all those side quests, you know, it was it was really easy to just like jump on for a night, play a couple side quests, find a troll, you know, under a bridge, figure out what that troll's problems are, um, get them some help <laughs> um, because, you know, it's one of the few places where you can um, productively interact with trolls is in The Witcher 3. Um, uh, but being able to, nice, um, you know, all yeah, like, like very misunderstood. Um and and like so being able to they just want shoes man they just want shoes yeah like they they got a really rough go of it um they're still waiting on their on their first stimmy let alone um let alone the next one um (laughs) i'm just down my lap over here (laughs) no yeah like i I, like being able to just like log on grab a couple bits of those stories it's kind of like you know reading like a novella rather than taking yeah. on a gigantic multi-series piece um and yes there's connective tissue but like the the being able to like come in and get out um is a big thing for open world games uh and like i haven't been playing it but um an open world game that's been really popular among my friend group um that also has loot boxes <laughs> um is uh, called genshin impact is from a chinese developer called mihoyo i believe um and I've heard it described as like, this is really anime breath of the wild. Um, and Ooh, I want it. it it's, it's not necessarily breath of the wild, but like it is a gigantic open world game. It is free to play. And it has like, it has the kind of production values of a triple a video game um, while being free to play, which makes it really uncommon. Um, but the loot boxes, you know, and things in there are, you know, are, are, are something that people definitely spend a lot of money on. Um, I struggle with loot boxes in mobile games because like, I don't want to feel like I'm paying money for a JPEG, even if it's a JPEG of a character I like a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah. you know, in, in a game like that, like, oh, yes, you know, you can roll for, you know, like pay some money, roll for a character, um, a new character to play on your team. Um, and 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 it also has online multiplayer. So, you know, you can log on with friends, do some quests together or like do one small side quest and the game is the game is kind of structured to expect you to be logging on every day to play for like an hour. Um, same kind of thing. Animal Crossing ended up trying to force me to do uh, Animal Crossing wanted me to log on and play a little bit every day. Um, what I actually did was binge like 14 hours at a time. Um, I had to finish the museum. I had to make Blathers Blathers happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Blathers. Good. yeah, this this is why I do say I like I like board games because um Josh, you, you got Parks for Christmas. I did. Uh, do you want to explain what it is? Parks is a two to four. What, no, one to five. It's a one to five player board game involving the acquisition of national parks. But not acquisition. You, you, visit, you visit national parks <laughs> uh, 
you you camp and acquire various resources like wood, water, sun, etc. And then you can exchange them at the end of each turn for tickets or you basically purchase national parks. You, you visit um, them. <laughs> I love that you asked for him to explain this and you're interrupting him literally in every sentence. <laughs> We, we disagree on what the mechanics are. What can I say? It's either tickets or the park itself. I forget. You're, like, requ- you're acquiring something and whoever has the most like, parks at like the end of the you, game is you, the winner. You do have them, but you're not buying them. Um, because that would kind of, you know, do like and, away the whole national parks thing. Um, America's parks, yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, this is why we invite Josh on the show. So but we can but the artwork is beautiful. I can play it by myself and feel like I'm having a nice outdoor adventure in this pandemic era and like it's, it's a fun it's a fun 30 to 60 minutes we i mean we literally did play this um like december through like february like pretty consistently multiple weekends because we wanted to feel like we were outside and exploring but like didn't want to go outside and explore i now have a list of parks i want to visit when all this is over <laughs> <laughs> like well i mean like Teddy Roosevelt simulator sounds like actually pretty interesting. Um, I'm sorry, what did you just say? Like Teddy Roosevelt simulator, you're going around. Okay, that's not what I heard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, I I know what you heard now. Sorry. (laughs) No, not getting deleted. That that stays. Um, Sorry, Teddy. So is this this is a game Teddy Roosevelt simulator? Are you just describing Josh's? um, <laughs> yes, I, I'm. I'm describing parks. Is uh, okay, yeah, because uh, I'm wondering. Oh, no, just because I'm. I'm wondering if I could like make a game called Teddy Roosevelt Simulator. Now, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like Oregon Trail. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. Oregon Trail is great. That is part of my we, my I'm, state heritage. Do not disparage that game. We did. We did play an nope. emulator version. It's not ago. part of your state heritage. It's, no one's ever actually not, made it to Oregon and Oregon Trail. You die of dysentery in Montana. Like everybody uh, knows excuse that. Excuse me. I have made it to Oregon and Oregon Trail. It is an important part of our state education system. I know. Just no. We are. My state is literally famous for like two things. One is that game and marijuana. At least Never you're not in Washington. Then you could be famous for Twilight. Never circle oh, the wagon. No. Circling the wagons doesn't work. <laughs> Ford, fording the river is a fool's errand. I, I stand yeah, by exactly. this. <laughs> exactly. See, I'll, 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 also, shout out to um, <laughs> yeah, shout out to Oregon Trail for being like young Ryan's first uh, interface with class consciousness of like, why is life so much easier for the banker? <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> Although, when you're when you're 20 when you're uh, uh when you're 29 slash 30 and playing it again for like the first time in like i don't know two decades maybe close to you're like oh there are some things i realize now that i did not realize then all the oh, yeah. friendly all the friendly native americans you meet along the way hannah oh, <laughs> um, oh no yes yeah, so um this is why we can't have my thing. You know, you know, I just, you know, uh, it turns out that as you grow, your relationship with the media you interact with changes. And that's that, the entire theme of this show encapsulated in Oregon Trail. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I mean, yeah, I guess we've, we've, uh, we've ruined Oregon Trail for everyone or not. Or- uh, no, Oregon Trail is a wonderful educational tool for teaching people about how westward expansion is a horrible idea that you will either be murdered and or you will kill native peoples, uh, probably both. 
And you will die of dysentery. And you will die of dysentery. <laughs> yeah. As um, justice demands, because you're going and taking people's lands from them. Um, anyway. Or you'll name your children, or like the children are like members of your party after people you know. And you don't die, but they do, and it's real awkward. <laughs> well, I think we've resolved nothing other than uh, the fact. I mean, uh, we can resolve one question. How many what? Kickstarter games is too many Kickstarter games? I mean, are you going into massive debt yet? I don't go into debt. I'm afraid. So as long Jeez. as you're not in massive debt, I I think that I think that it's great. You're probably kickstarting the economy. I think if we all just put our stimulus checks into indie gaming, only good things can come up of that. As far as I learned, Hannah, <laughs> Hannah has told me that we're not allowed to move for up to two years because she still has a bunch of Kickstarter games that are that may be shipping soon, and she can't you know, show her address yet. Well, no, I, you, you I do say you can update your address. Yeah, no, I didn't say. And then I didn't they will send two, it to the new yeah, address. I didn't say two years. I said two months. <laughs> um, to be fair, but I do have like Kickstarter games that are projected out for two years. Um, I mean, look, if if someone said I'm building a board game, thinking about Edward Said's work, who wouldn't want to buy that? I mean, I, or or I could get drunk. I mean, I, I, just, <laughs> I, I feel like why not both? Can we do both? Is both an option? Yeah, why does this have I mean, to be exclusive? I mean, well, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm curious. I don't know anyone who's ever actually going to play it with me. Like, um, you, you're talking you know, like, the people, you know, yeah, the us. people, yeah, the people literally on this podcast, but we're not in, di- we're in different places. So I guess we if just we, did an entire episode want to do a Zoom and play an Edward Said game, that was, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say no. It's just, it's just a weird thing. That's all I'm working. We just for. literally did an episode about how to do this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We did yes. it just now, man. I know, but do we need, do we each need to buy one or can we just trust that Hannah will do it? I like, mean, obviously I'm going to do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, we're just going to we're going to use her copy, I'm assuming. Yeah, OK. That's uh, yeah, that's fine. Anyway, I guess we haven't resolved anything, including how many Kickstarter games one should purchase besides don't go into debt. All of them. That would send me into debt. <laughs> Most of them. A significant um, portion. Of, OK, we're going to create a foundation. We're going to band together. We're all going to divide all of the good Kickstarter games and like the interesting ones, which most of them, and then we're going to make a list and then everyone's going to take so many games on that list so that everyone can be can make their games and then they're going to be sold and then it's going to be wildly successful and then gaming will take over the world and it's going to be great. Well, if I count it correctly, we we've mentioned 19 games. Well, actually, we've mentioned far more, but we've but our count is really at about 19. So for the 20th game, I will recommend that, you know, everyone play fantasy box office because it's, actually, it's there are there are enough releases that it's actually kind of exciting and interesting and i will have you know hannah for the second week in a row you are still in the lead look i'm gonna i am going to be in the lead until godzilla uh versus kong comes out and then mortal combat combat i don't know what i was trying to say or what accent that was mortal combat is going to come out and i will no longer be in the lead um see I'm not sure. So, so you know, little Godzilla versus Kong comes out 326. Now, what's interesting about Godzilla versus Kong? It's going to be the first major movie of the new Warner Brothers dual release thing. And, Tom and Jerry. Yeah, well, Tom and Jerry, but the um, it was not Tom and Jerry came out, but like it doesn't have. 
Tom and Jerry is a franchise that didn't have the kind of followers that Godzilla did in recent times, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like I don't know that there was a uh, Tom and Jerry would never have been a summer blockbuster. Godzilla is now. Will Katya make a bajillion dollars for it? No, but will she make will she make twenty million? I don't know. Or maybe everybody will stay at home because it's Warner. So I don't know what's going to happen. I'm really kind of curious about that. Like we know that Raya and the Last Dragon underperformed where they wanted it to, but it did well enough. I so... mean, Cinemark didn't even carry it because of the right. Disney Plus like simultaneous release. That anyway, I guess like we actually, I guess we we uh, something we can't resolve. We kind of have some hope that like vaccinations are going semi well I'm- now. I'm getting, I mean, theoretically, by the time we record our next show, I will have half of a vaccination. Or, I mean, you know, also, uh, apparently they're announcing, they're announcing we're supposed to all be able to have a July 4th celebration, which I feel like the optics of that and the weird nationalism that's entailed, we should probably talk about on some show. Yep. I have feels about it. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but yay vaccinations! Yay Pokey Pokey stick in the arm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think it's, I mean, it's not a silver bullet and I don't think you even really get to like not wear masks or anything, right? It's still going to be a while, but we're on the way to like having the world be open, maybe. Uh. Yeah, as long as people do what they're told so that we can have nice things again. So I miss right nice thing, things. I do. Like I sunshine. Like sunshine. I, sunshine I, was I nice. I miss <laughs> nice things like beer in a communal setting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been Hug a year people. since I've been in a bar, since I've hugged someone who's not Josh, since I've been yeah. to the movie theater. Actually, it's been over a year for some of those things, but. Yeah, yeah. We're, yeah. we're just we're not going to we're not going to. I, had, I had a little better. I had a little better because we had it, and this might happen again. We had like um, our pub trivia turned into socially distant out outdoor like the one of the pubs we were doing pub trivia at has this mount this massive outdoor balcony thing so they took out half the tables and we were able to do that for a while and then it got cold so you know that might be something that will go back but anyway hopefully in-person gatherings coming soon (laughs) we can play board games together again one day yeah Yeah. one day that's not a way Ryan, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, so you have you have a podcast of your own. Tell us about it. Yes, um, uh, along with uh, three uh, three friends and colleagues of mine, uh, we've started uh, the Black Movie Podcast because no one else bought the domain name. Apparently, uh, so, really? Yeah. So so <laughs> we're just surprising. Black Movie Podcast. Um, we look at a number of um, of black led films across different genres and time periods. Um, this started as a pandemic distance episode. Um, uh, this this started as a pandemic distance exercise. Um, we were originally chatting about um, what counts as a black movie um, and what our favorites were. And we started drafting a Google document of all the movies we could think of. And we ended up with a list of like 150 films. And someone made an offhanded remark of, I totally listened to a podcast about a bunch of these random black movies and like relive that part of the culture. Um, and we decided to actually do it. So we've got, you know, a number of folks with different um, experience experiences and uh, histories with film, uh, a couple of film majors, some uh, some media media designers um, and uh, videographers and um, massive nerds like me. Um, and we're going over all sorts of different movies. Our, our first season is mid swing. We just released an episode um, on Aquila and the Bee. Um, huh, okay. uh, 2006 we uh, our first episode was in uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse which was um, absolutely incredible 
And we've been covering both new movies and old ones, everything from like Carmen Jones, the old um, the old black musical with Harry Belafonte and Dorothy Dandridge um, to wonderful brand new stuff like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, so we've mm-hmm. been, you know, zipping all over, having good conversations. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, you could definitely catch more um, cool information about uh, about black films, um, learn about black culture in ways that aren't based off of trauma and uh, uh, trauma and harshness <laughs> and like actually focused on, you know, joy and humor um, uh, and catch us on, you know, wherever you get your pods of uh, look for the black movie podcast or check us out at um, blackmoviepodcast.com. You'll, you'll be linked in the show notes, but I, I have a very important question for you. Yes. Um, I'm going to invite myself on your show because in a perfect world, I'm on every show every week. So thank you. But yes. <laughs> thank you for inviting me. But, but, um, but here on, on the condition, have you yet scheduled watching the seminal classic, The Five Heartbeats? We have not. And I am on it for season two. I absolutely want to do it. And Mav, I will um, I will absolutely uh, go in for for that for that movie for us. Uh, I know that <laughs> one, one, one of our one of our four hosts, uh, Andre, um, has been despairing because he he's not a big fan of musicals and we keep accidentally tricking him into watching musicals. Um, but uh, like, I, like we I watch school days. Musical. Yeah, it's yeah. a musical oh, school. Oh, school days is great. Oh yeah. So anyway, so yeah, so clearly <laughs> yes. everyone should watch it, should, should listen to your show because I, I will be subscribing. I love the idea of this um, school days, you know, a, a movie that exists purely so that you can invent the dance debut. That's the only yes. reason school days exists. <laughs> the entire movie is built because Spike Lee wanted to make a music video for Dabut. So, so many questions. Got, like it's a Spike Lee movie about like black, uh, like black Greek fraternities and sororities mm-hmm. um, that got Spike Lee kicked off of historically black college campuses. Um, Twice, which is is a shame because it's actually really good. And I mean, we might have to do a whole episode on Spike Lee joints at one point because he's a he's a complicated filmmaker. But anyway, everybody should subscribe. You'll be linked in the show notes. Um, Josh, anything to plug? Not today. Whatever Hannah's got. Okay, Palindrome Hannah, what are you plugging? Because Josh just gave you that um, wonderful introduction. Well, uh, if you want to join me in my quest for playing board games that are thinking about questions of empire, you too can get in on the Kickstarter of the second edition of John company at the end of the month. Um, and I, you know, you should subscribe to Ryan's podcast because it sounds really cool. And Spider-Man is awesome. <laughs> Katya. Uh, I mean, I feel like mostly on the internet, you can just find me at Vox podcast. Uh, yeah. I technically have a Instagram account at just that nerd kid. Have I posted on it in the last month? Two months now, maybe? No. <laughs> so uh, that's it. <laughs> you guys need to like the internet demands your voices. You know, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't need my voice. It, my, voice my voice is here. My voice is here in your ears right now. You're already listening to it. What more do you need? <laughs> Uh, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all of the places, always at Chris Maverick. You can follow, you can also follow me on my other show, Gosh Golly Wow, where we talk about the 1988 to 1998 comic book Excalibur and only Excalibur for 127 straight weeks. Um, 
this is week four and I still am, you know, it's starting to really sink in what I committed to there. Um, <laughs> but you can follow, you can follow us at them at them us. Is it me or is it? I don't know. You can follow another <laughs> show at goshgollywow.com. You can follow this show at voxpopcast.com and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And you can follow both shows on our YouTube channel. If you subscribe to the Vox Popcast YouTube channel, you can see visual representations of of the show like the one you just listened to but with pictures you can see pictures of the games that we're talking about so yeah pictures are cool so if you do us a favor go to youtube subscribe and hit the bell and comment and like and i don't i probably said that in the wrong order because i'm old but do the youtube things and subscribe to us on the other podcast platforms and do us a favor write us a five-star review especially on apple podcasts that really helps us out by making the show more popular moving us up in the algorithm gives us something to feel good about and you know it's a pandemic and you just listen to us talk about you know our need for human interaction through board games and and killing stuff in boats or whatever it was josh said so <laughs> so, um, so i think that you know we'd love to hear from you i would like to thank ryan once again for joining us i would like to thank maximilian of thought form music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out i'd like to thank you at home for listening and we'll see you next time goodbye Bye.